produced by the iLab at WBUR Boston. The universe has good news for the lost, lonely, and heartsick. Sugar is here, the both of us, speaking straight into your ears. I'm Cheryl Strayed. I'm Steve Almond. This is Dear Sugar Radio. Oh, dear son, won't you please share some little sweet days with me? Hi, Steve. Hi, Cheryl. Here we are at another rapid-fire episode. You know, I I dream of the day that we do get the... (laughs) It's going to (laughs) happen. These are fun for me because we get to answer a whole bunch of different questions in one episode. And oftentimes we've been drawing upon, you know, a theme where it's like, you know, we did love and doubt or we've, you know, done messy relationships. And one thing that that listeners might not know of, we have this inbox that we try to organize into these folders. And so the folders will say, you know, like... Uh, you know, dysfunctional childhood or infidelity, or eating right. disorders, whatever. And what we decided to do today is actually answer a bunch of letters that we cannot drag into any of those boxes. We call them the inbox outliers. Yes. And these are questions that are a little off the beaten path, a little more unique. They don't necessarily fit into one category or the other. Mm-hmm. Warning, dear sugar radio listeners, things are going to get a little weird. Let's do it. We read right. the first letter. Dear sugars. I found out that my younger sister gave my name when she got a ticket for an illegal U-turn two years ago and that my entire family covered it up. I've always been proud of my clean driving record, so I didn't think I'd have any problem passing a motor vehicle background check in order to volunteer to help refugees acclimate to my city by driving them to the library, etc. I got an email today stating that I had failed due to two moving violations. I thought it was a mistake and immediately called my dad for advice on how to correct this. When he paused for a bit too long, I knew something was wrong. He said, I didn't think we'd have to tell you this, and explained that my sister had given my name when she got a ticket two years ago, and that my parents had decided that was an acceptable thing to do, and as long as she never told me, it would all be okay. To make matters worse, there is also a speeding ticket that she was given four days after the U-turn that she won't own up to either. I'm so hurt that my family lied to protect my sister and didn't think about what the lie would do to me. They think I'm making too big a deal out of this and should drop it, but I feel betrayed. My mom and sister are two people I trust more than anything, and to know they've lied about this makes my stomach churn. They don't seem to understand how I feel. I've barely gotten an apology from them. Am I in the wrong here for making a big deal out of this? How can I move past it? Signed, Stolen Identity. My goodness gracious. Yes. I, I'm uh, going to stay out. And from so the outset, appalling. I completely forgive Cheryl Strayed for having given my name 
when you got a moving violation. <laughs> I've totally, right. it's like no. under water under the bridge. No, and I'm going to say, don't forgive me. This stolen identity, you are not wrong to make a big deal out of this. This is so absurd. It's, it's, it's almost beyond belief. It's crazy, I, I want to say, I mean, there's no explanation. First of all, what's so strange to me is that your parents would want to protect your sister, but, but at your expense. Like, it's okay for you to have a record, but not your sister. Yeah. These are absurd people who are in some kind of strange, bizarre wonderland of denial and, I don't know, boondoggery. I, I'm never happy until I can use the word boondoggle. So yeah, I know. This is, is a boondoggle. And, and it's also a serious boondoggle stolen identity because here's the thing. If you decide to actually make the real deal out of it, your sister will be charged with a, a crime. And, and it's not a, a crime of a moving violation. It's a crime of like a stolen identity, lying to a police officer. Fault, you know, these are serious report. things. Right. And, um, you know, they either need to take this seriously and make it right as quickly as possible, or I think you should take action. Now, of course, what does making it right mean? Does making it right mean uh, that you get an apology from them and, and that apology seems sincere and you come to accept it? Or does it mean that they actually fess up to the authorities and your sister deals with the consequences of that? Only you can know which you need to do. I'm not sure which I would recommend. I, I think it depends on the situation. Mm -hmm. But I will say that at the bare minimum that they need to take this seriously. Your parents need to stop enabling your sister Bingo. who's committing crimes right. that you are the victim of. And I don't think there's anything funny about it. I think you're absolutely right for making it a big deal. I mean, here you are trying to volunteer to help refugees and you can't do it because your sister right. has used your name. I mean, it's it's absolutely wrong. You should see to it immediately. The sentence that really got me here, Stolen Identity, is my mom and sister are two people I trust more than anything. And again, we, we can't know the full history here, but my hunch reading this is that you are sort of the good daughter and your sister is being protected, I assume, because this is not her first rodeo in terms of maybe a moving violation. She's already reached her max to increase insurance or maybe to get into a category where she is going to have her license suspended or something, and that your parents are doing the exact wrong thing that maybe is a longer standing pattern in the family, which is to, quote unquote, protect her by failing to force her to live with the consequences of her behaviors, her misbehaviors. And if you need a reason to justify being tough about this, it's not just protecting your own interests. It's also making sure that your parents and sister don't keep playing out a deeply unhealthy pattern that is ultimately going to screw your sister over. And you have every right. I mean, Cheryl's taking a really tough line, which is to actually present you with the truth. These are This is a criminal matter. This is filing a false police report and stolen identity. I don't know that the best thing to do is to approach it in that punitive a way, but you do need to realize that even though you love your mom and your sister and your dad, this is a really unhealthy family dynamic, and you shouldn't have to have the burden of clearing your name and getting them to behave the right way, but that's where you find yourself. It's completely crazy town on six different levels, and it's deeply unhealthy, and you need to let them know that in no uncertain terms. Okay, next letter. Now, remember the rules of these rapid fires. I talk, you talk, and then on we go. All right. Dear Sugars, my boyfriend and I had our first baby last month. And now I'm fortunate enough to be a stay-at-home mom to our beautiful seven-week-old boy. Since getting pregnant, we've discussed getting married, and we decided we should get engaged. A few days ago, I came across a ring-sized box my boyfriend was obviously planning on giving me. It had the name of a company on it, 
and I immediately googled it out of curiosity. I was taken aback when I found that this company sells cubic zirconia rings that cost about $20. So I did something that I now regret. I peeked inside the box. It was an engagement and wedding ring set that I saw on the website cost $20.99. I'm both upset and baffled by this because my boyfriend is not one to be cheap when it comes to jewelry. I'd shown him a ring that I wanted, which costs around $300. I thought that was fairly inexpensive for an engagement ring. So here's my question. Do I say something to him about it when he gives it to me? I'm truly hurt that he would be so cheap when it comes to such an important moment. Then again, I don't want to be shallow, and I'm incredibly grateful for our life together, and I'm lucky to have such a great partner. The ring itself is fine and actually pretty, but it's not really what I wanted. Signed, speak now or forever hold my peace. Mm. <clears throat> oh, now, I know you're all fired up about this ticket thing, okay? And I, I have a feeling we're headed towards uh, trouble here with our answers. I'm just, I, the, the, the boom will be lowered by old Cheryl. Okay. Uh, old Cheryl? No, the boom will be lowered by a remarkably useful looking Cheryl. Okay. Okay. So this is a little bit complicated because we don't know your economic circumstances it sounds to me, speak now, like you are a stay-at-home mom, which means there's one income. You've decided to make this long, good promise. But when you say that your boyfriend, by nature, your soon-to-be fiancé, is not cheap about jewelry, I assume that means that characterologically he understands the, that it's important and this is an important moment. So I am genuinely baffled along with you as to why he would give you a $20 ring rather than a $300 ring, which sounds for many people like, well, for a big occasion, that's a very reasonable amount of money to spend on an engagement ring. But I don't know your circumstances and I don't know your your fiancé's, if he's your fiancé by this time, I don't know his anxieties about caring for this new baby. What is clear is he isn't hiding it from you. He isn't trying to pass off this cubic zirconia as a diamond. He's quite open about it. I think you have to bring it up with him because you're going to have that ring on your finger, hopefully until death do you part. So it feels like too fundamental a nagging doubt to ignore. But I'm of the mind just because of my orientation on things that it's about the commitment that he's making to you and how loving and supportive and connected he is to you, not about a piece of jewelry. Lower the boom. Speak now or forever hold your peace. You're not being cheap or shallow by telling him that this that he made a mistake. You know, I understand everything Steve is saying about your economic realities. And it sounds to me, I mean, first of all, she knows their realities. And she isn't saying, well, I, I told him that I loved this $300 ring, but I knew that we really couldn't afford it because times are tough. Okay. She didn't say that to us. She said that by way of saying this would be the reasonable ring for him to get for her for such an occasion. This is, as you note, a ring that she's going to be wearing for the rest of her life. Yep. And so, you know, what I'm sad for you about is, of course, we want our engagements to be fairy tale, and we want them to line up with the joy and the happiness and you know of the relationships we have with our partners. But sometimes in the course of those big moments, even people who are glorious and lovely and considerate and generous and wonderful in all these other ways, botch the job. And I think that this is what happened uh, with your boyfriend, Speak Now, and I don't think that he meant to hurt your feelings or make you feel like you weren't valuable to him. But I do think 
that he was wrong to give you a ring that costs less than $21. I, I do think that this was a major fumble that you will laugh about in years to come, but only if you can fix it. Okay. I would sit him down and say, I'm so touched that you gave me this ring, but this ring is not what I had in mind. And it's really important to me that I look down at my hand for all the rest of my life and feel nothing but love and joy and gratitude for the, this bond that we have. And this ring makes me feel bad. And yes, it is because it only costs $20.99. You mean you checked on and the that internet? Doesn't, right. And that doesn't make you shallow. It matters that you love the ring. And I just think you have to have that complicated, difficult, painful conversation with him. And he's probably going to be maybe defensive and maybe hurt. But I think ultimately you guys will come out the other side um, understanding about it. And then you can go out together and get that ring that you want at the budget that feels right to both of you. And you, in some ways, can use this as an experience, you know, one of the many times in your marriage right. that you're going to have to have difficult conversations where one of you has to tell the other, I'm disappointed in you. Right. Good luck. Have the conversation. Please write us back. There's some something about your letter, Speak Now, just like agitated me. It like called up my Uh-oh. you know, inner princess. Oh, <laughs> that where I just felt like, no, 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 you this needs to be better. And so sadly, you know, sometimes we have to make it better ourselves. We have to make it right by using our words, saying, I love you, I'm grateful for you. The ring is not working for me. Good luck. <laughs> Okay, we know that you know, now we know Cheryl's in an agitated state. We're going to just proceed forward. She's the, pissed off about the ticket. She's got the ring thing now. Let's see what else sis, we can throw the, in there. The criminal sister, the errant fiance. Oh my God. What next? All right, here we go. Dear Sugars, I'm a 24 year old man in a rather unique conundrum. I have a chosen family that began when a friend took me home for a winter break during college. Now, four years later, I consider that friend my brother and his mother to be my mother. She has given me a place to call home and a relationship that feels like the one most of my peers have with their parents, complete with phone calls, holidays, advice, and chores when I'm at home. She provides both emotional and logistical support that I don't and didn't receive from my parents of origin. My conundrum is that my biological parents are still living. My friends and my therapists have described my relationship with them as bizarre, neglectful, and emotionally abusive. They aren't willing to do any work, emotional or otherwise, to be in a relationship with me. My parents of origin don't know that I call someone else my mother. They don't know that I call someplace else my home. I'm now considering going through a legal adoption process. My chosen mother is perfectly accepting of my decision either way. There are many reasons why I'd like to go through with it, personal, emotional, legal, as well as logistical. The only reason I wouldn't is that I'd have to notify any living biological parents of the adoption. I'd very much like to be legally bound to my chosen family, and I don't think I'd lose anything by severing ties with my biological family. But I would be doing something very cruel to my parents of origin, even though that's not my reason for wanting to do it. I don't know if I can justify telling someone that the child they had is no longer theirs. The benefits of going through with the adoption would be excellent and sensible, especially because it would provide closure. But I've been stuck for months now on whether or not to do it. Do you have any advice for me? Signed, Potential Adult Adoptee. 
This one's a complicated one. Yeah. For me, I, I honestly, I have more questions than answers, but yeah. hopefully these questions, potential adult adoptee will, will help you answer your own questions. And, you know, my first one is, why do you really want to do this? You, you say several times that there would be many benefits, but really as a 24-year-old, I actually think that those benefits would be quite limited when we're talking in legal terms you know, there there really aren't at that age, you know, parents aren't actually responsible for um, their children, biological or otherwise. The main way that they're still connected is emotionally. And mm-hmm. so, you know, I would say if really this is adoption is about emotional closure or in some way uh, offering a sort of ceremony where you're you know, officially moving into another family, my recommendation would be to keep the legal system out of it, to do uh, an adoption in the way that, that people sometimes will do uh, wedding ceremonies or other kinds of ceremonies where that you're not actually legally making any kind of binding pronouncement, and yet you get all the emotional benefits from being welcomed into a new family and in many ways letting your other family go. Now, if you do that, you, you don't have to involve your parents. As you said, the only reason you have to involve your parents and what would absolutely be a painful thing for them is if you decide on this legal adoption. And so my question to you is, like, what actually are the benefits of you know, being legally adopted at the age of 24? And also, what are the, what are the things you would lose? Well, the, the, the only thing I can think of as a 24-year-old, is if you are legally adopted by your friend's mother, you are considered her her child in the eyes of the law. And so when she dies, you have a legal claim to, to some of her estate. But the flip side of that is if you are no longer the child of your biological parents, you don't you don't have any claim to their estate, okay? Other than that, I'm not an attorney, but I can't think of other ways that we are actually legally bound to our parents beyond... 18 or 21, it probably varies in different states. But, you know, it's it's beyond that, it really is about an emotional connection yeah. rather than a legal one. And so I would take care to see if you can get what you want, which is this feeling of closure when it comes to letting go of your biological parents in some emotional or spiritual way and entering into another family. That can be done without the law. And then um, really thinking deeply if if, the, if those legal consequences are really whatever whatever benefit you'd get from that, are they really worth putting your parents through suffering? And if they're minimal, I would say no. Right. I think subconsciously, potential adult adoptee, you, you know, you, you say you want this for closure, but I think what it's really going to do is, is open up a, a big wound. And I think you want to do that. I think there's a part of you that's very angry and disappointed at your parents for not having been the parents that you wanted or deserved. And you have every right to that set of feelings. I think the adoption, at least by my reading of this letter, is is your way of making them unequivocally aware that you're disappointed in them and that you disown them. It's as if you're kicking them out of your biological house. There are real consequences in terms of hospital visits um, and certainly estate stuff as well. But the thing that's most telling to me is that you feel like you're on the horns of a dilemma. If you really believe deep down, I don't think I'd lose anything by severing ties with my biological family. If you really believe that, then you would be able to say, yeah, sorry, you weren't there for me when I needed it. And now I have found a new family and 
I'm going to let you know that by certified mail, there's going to be legal documents. And, you know, I don't care if you're upset by that. I've, I've let that go. I don't think you have let it go. And I think your letter is an indication that you're actively really heartbroken that, in a sense, this new loving family has provided you an awareness of what family can be. I think that's the thing that you need to mourn and reckon with. And I don't think it's going to be solved by some legal documents. I think it is a process that's internal and psychological. And rather than worrying the specific question of an adoption, the thing for you to do now, I think, is find your way towards forgiveness for your parents. And then you won't, I think, the need to codify it legally and therefore to basically tell them, I've I found somebody else, I disown you. You might find that that recedes. And I, I, I want to add, too, that so many people I know, myself included, really have a lot of chosen family. You know, right. I, that's what you're describing here. And none of them have been legally adopted by anyone else. And that doesn't at all diminish or amplify their connection. I mean, I think that, that it really isn't about, you know, who you belong to and that sort of parent-child dynamic, but rather who you belong to when it comes to your own life and the circle of love and sense of family and sense of tribe and sense of community and belonging that you create in your life. And it really doesn't have anything to do with legal papers. Mm -hmm. Good luck. Good luck. The world's clean energy future relies on ancient elements still in the ground. Without mining, there will not be a clean energy transition. But pulling them out of the ground comes at an environmental and human cost. Mining is intrusive, but the results are the building blocks for products that we use every single day. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. Join me on point for Elements of Energy, Mining for a Green Future, five special episodes. Listen and follow On Point wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, you ready for the next one, Steve? I am. Dear Sugars, I've been so blessed to find the most compassionate, loving, thoughtful, sexy, amazing man who loves me as much as I love and adore him. We're engaged to be married. We're incredibly happy together and have loved making a home with our three dogs. My fiancé is a widower, and while he has been through an incredible heartache, he has survived, and he's ready to move forward with his life. Our problem? My fiancé's late wife's family, specifically her mother. She seems to feel that if I take her son-in-law away, the reality of her daughter's death will land. I've attended family weddings, family holidays, and other gatherings to support my fiancé, and while I know his family likes me, it's understandable that they've had a difficult time getting to know me. We are constantly bombarded with reminders of my fiancé's late wife, which is bothersome to him and agitates me. My fiancé's late wife's mother regularly delivers flowers to our house in memorial to her daughter. There are constant Facebook posts and other such things done without warning. She has made comments to me suggesting that I am essentially the other woman. This is frustrating and offensive, as my fiancé has chosen to move forward with his life, and he has chosen me as his partner. My fiancé doesn't feel like he can say anything about this out of respect for a mother that lost her daughter. I certainly feel that I have no place in it. 
However, we spend so much of our time discussing this. It's difficult to move forward when my fiancé keeps being pushed into the past. We've had much conversation and contemplation and a fair amount of tears, but I want to find a solution that will satisfy both of us. Some fresh thoughts would be much appreciated. Signed, The Widower's Fiancé. Mm. I was so, uh, I'm obviously very sorry for this circumstance, the widow's fiance, but I'm glad to get this letter because it's a very complicated situation. I think you're just right in your apprehension that this mother is grieving her daughter and she's taking out her anger and bewilderment at that event on you. And that is not fair, but it's also from her perspective, all she can do to express her grief and rage and bewilderment at this event. I think this is something that is ramping up around the engagement and the wedding, and I think it will dissipate when you're married. That's my hunch. But I think in the meantime, it's clearly something that's disruptive to you and to your fiancé. So I think you might want a little bit of help before you get married in talking with a counselor about this one issue in particular, because it's not just his mother who might have unrequited feelings about this or feelings that need to come out into the light between you. What what really came to mind when I was listening to your story, Widower's Fiancé, is that I remember when my mother died, she was married to a man who was my stepfather, and he pretty quickly began dating another woman. And this was excruciatingly painful Mm. to me for a number of reasons. But one was just the most basic thing, which was I felt like my mother was being replaced. And even though my stepfather said to me, of course she's not being replaced. I love your mother and I always will. I looked at him and I said, I know that, but you can find another wife and I can never find another mother. And so what's happening here is... You know, the mother-in-law of your fiancé, widower's fiancé, is feeling that you're replacing her daughter. And it crushes her on top of the already crushing truth that her daughter's dead. And I don't say that by any stretch to make you feel badly about this. But I'm just, I want you to remember that your fiancé's mother-in-law is doing what she's doing, not because she doesn't like you, not because she has anything personally against you, but rather because she's acting out of her own pain, her own suffering. I do think that there are some ways that your fiancé might play a role here in really maybe consoling her. You say that he doesn't feel he can say anything about this out of respect for a mother that lost her daughter. But I think that what you really need to encourage him to do is reverse that course. The only thing he can do out of respect for a mother that lost her daughter is to look at her compassionately and address her openly and say, I loved your daughter and I always will. And I also now love my fiance and I want to have happiness and joy in part because I once knew happiness and joy in a, in a previous relationship with this woman that you and I will both always love okay mm-hmm. and so I think that there's something about the two of them coming together and having a good cry and having an honest conversation in which he essentially enlists his mother-in-law to be on his side in this to help him through his 
grief journey while he extends a hand to her to help her through hers, yeah. you know? And I really think, widower's fiancé, that you and your fiancé might want to ponder this, this notion of moving on, which you've used the phrase several times in your letter. You know, almost always when we love somebody who's lost someone tragically, as your fiancé did, uh, what really is going to work better in the long run, what's going to be more honest, is just make a place for her in your life and not just in your in your fiance's life, but in your marriage and your in your life. And that in so many ways that can nurture actually the marriage that you're moving into with this man. And we wish you luck. We sure do. So let's read the next letter. Okay. Dear Sugars, years ago, I had an affair with a man I used to work with, but who lived in a different city. We were both married, but always felt an attraction to each other. I knew him before I met my husband. When work brought him to town, we'd meet up for an evening, and we talked often by phone. You wouldn't describe it as torrid. We never spoke of leaving our spouses. We had an easy connection that, over time, mellowed into a long-distance love and remained a cherished secret friendship. He was blunt and honest, a coach when I needed to take risks in my life and career. We talked frequently, but could go weeks between calls and fall right into comfortable conversation. Four months ago, he passed away unexpectedly. I found out weeks afterwards. After a few calls to his office went unreturned, I emailed his office account and received a short reply from his secretary with a copy of his obituary. I was shocked, completely unprepared, unable to react out loud. Nobody in my life or his knew of our relationship, and I have no one to talk to or cry with, no way to process it. I don't even know what happened. To my knowledge, his wife and family know nothing of me, and that's how it must stay. But I am alone in this. His death feels like it didn't happen, though it hits me at odd times. I catch myself dialing his number. I hear a certain song and stifle a sob. I've kept my feelings hidden, but my husband tells me I've been tossing and turning at night. How do I manage this secret grief? How do I mourn someone who wasn't supposed to be mine? Grieving ghost. Wow. Yeah. This is definitely an inbox outlier. Yeah. It's a hard one. Yeah. I mean, I think it's unique to have a relationship where you you honestly have no mutual friends, that it, that it really is a secret island that the two of you live on and your relationship is is, is sort of separate from everything and everyone else in your life. Mm-hmm. I think the grieving ghost, you probably would benefit from seeing a grief counselor where you can openly share your feelings about this relationship, the reality of this relationship without revealing the affair to your spouse or, or anyone in your dead lover's life. I think that probably you're always going to feel a little unresolved about this relationship. It's always a hard thing when somebody dies without us having any ability to say goodbye to them or to tell them who they, how much they meant to us. But I think that there are ways for you to at least come to some peace. And I think that's the best thing you can ask for at this point. So, you know, that's really my, my best and only advice is, you know, find that person that you can talk to about this in a way that feels completely open and honest, the opposite of the sort of secret relationship that you had with this man. And I'm sorry for your loss. Mm-hmm. You know, this is a relationship that had deep meaning to you, even if it was sporadic and out of town. When you ask, was there time for goodbyes? That's a version of asking, 
Why didn't he say goodbye to me? Mm -hmm. Could he have said goodbye to me? Could there have been some moment where what passed between us, the years of friendship, the support and mentorship and whatever erotic and romantic connection was between you would be recognized, where you at least would have some awareness that this person was with you and it mattered and it happened and it was a human act of becoming. And you've been deprived of that so there, there's a collision. You're alone in trying to grieve. And I think there's some significance to the fact that you're tossing and turning in your marital bed because there's also the reality that you went outside of the marriage to find something that had deep meaning that wasn't in the marriage. I'm not suggesting that you have to talk about this with your husband, but you do have to recognize that you have to sort out really complicated feelings and you should not have to be alone in this. Indeed. Okay, wow. So, this next one is about, I would say, possibly my favorite subject Uh on Dear Sugar Radio. Uh And you know what that is. Oh, my gracious. Meow. (laughs) Meow. (laughs) I'm going to say cats. Cats. Dear Sugars, I'm married to a wonderful man. We have one son aged 22 months and a baby girl on the way. My problem is with his mother. His mom has had a severe pet allergy for the past 20 years. Despite this, she refuses to use an inhaler because of the side effects and instead relies on vitamins that her herbalist recommends. I've had a cat for eight years, longer than I've known my husband. When I moved in with my husband, he was happy to welcome the cat, but his mother made it known how unhappy she was. It's been three years since, and the cat issue is driving a wedge between my husband and me. I can't find the cat a new home, though I've tried. My husband appreciated the effort at first, but now he seems impatient. Here's what I don't get about this situation, and it's so frustrating. My mother-in-law has been in the same room as my cat without any allergic reactions, not even a cough or strained voice. She didn't know the cat was there or recently there. Her allergies seem to be more of a mental health issue than a current medical condition. She refuses to listen to anyone who tries to talk to her about it. Her family enables the behavior so they don't have to deal with her drama. My husband agrees the situation is frustrating, but he doesn't empathize with my feelings, specifically that I feel like I'm being forced to give up my beloved pet to appease his mother. I love how she treats my son, her grandson, but I hate how she berates her son, my husband, seemingly punishing him for marrying someone with a cat. I hate that this has become such an issue in our marriage. I know that if it's not the cat, she'll have some other sort of issue with me that will become a problem. What do I do? Am I the problem for not wanting to get rid of my cat so my mother-in-law can come over for occasional dinners? I know my husband is more important than my cat, as are my children, but I resent that my mother-in-law won't even try to tolerate my home. I'm so angry about this that it may take years of counseling to get over the resentment I have toward her. Signed, cat conundrum it's a cat fight um you had to say it i had to say it well it's not about the cat when you say i know that if it's not the cat she'll have some sort of other issue with me that will become the problem that's your first clue the cat is the pretext here what you have is a mother-in-law who is overweening she's overly involved and for whatever reason and we've 
dealt with this frequently in our inbox and in, in some of our episodes. Mother-in-law is a very charged figure, and she is using the cat and, you know, her allergic reaction as a way of kind of picking a fight with you and uh, trying to draw, very much like a feline pattern of behavior, a territory. She's trying to say, the inside of your house is actually my territory. She's spraying. Okay, she is spraying. Thank you for bringing it down to, to an earthy level. And what you have to do in a friendly but firm way is to stake out your own territory and say, look, my house is my house. It's the house I make with my husband. And your husband has to be on board with that. He's trying to keep the peace. He's trying to say, oh, I know my mother's a drama queen and I know she sort of inserts herself. So can't you just go ahead and take one for the team and, and you know, give the cat away? And if you within yourself could say, okay, I'll do that and it would solve the problem, then you might do that. But you know that's not the problem. Mm-hmm. I agree. I think cat conundrum, you have two conundrums. You have a problem with your mother-in-law and you have a problem with your husband. You do Mm -hmm. not have a problem with your cat. Yes. So sweet kitty, we'll put you aside over in your little cat tree. Okay. Here, the problem with the mother-in-law, I think in no uncertain terms, you get to have a pet in your home if you want a pet in your home. Your mother-in-law does not live with you. It would be one thing if when you moved in with your husband, you were also moving in with your mother-in-law and you knew that she had an allergy. I would, I would understand that it would be reasonable to say you couldn't also have a cat. But your mother-in-law doesn't live with you. And you can see her in other ways. And, and I would just kind of lay down the law, write down the line that you will use the next time your mother-in-law says something passive-aggressive about you being so selfish about having a cat and have it be generous and fact-based and say what needs to be said in a gentle but firm way, okay? So there's the mother-in-law. The bigger issue, I think, is your husband. Mm-hmm. Of course, you don't want this to be trouble in your marriage. And it sounds to me that your husband you know, has had many years of being in a codependent relationship with his mother. Right. Appeasing her even when it doesn't make sense. Everybody in the family is doing that. And, you know, this is, I I feel for you, but I do think you and your husband should really take the time to once and for all resolve this issue with the cats. Talk about your feelings, express his, your support for him and his mother, and, you know, try to find a way to get on the same side of this. Maybe part of this dynamic is that your husband feels like you've come between him and his mother because now his mother is, you know, angry at him. You know, maybe if he spends just a little more time focusing on their individual relationship, she's going to feel less angry about how you and Miss Kitty are coming between mm-hmm. them. Here's what I think might be complicating the situation in certain ways. I just want to acknowledge it. We have one son, age 22 months, and a baby girl on the way. This is a time in your marriage where you need your mother-in-law, who's a great-grandma, to be in your family life. And that's super important to recognize and honor and acknowledge. But there is a difference between needing her to be a support for you and having her serve the role she currently serves, which is really as an adjutant. And you deserve to have your lovely kitty in your life right now. (laughs) I mean, seriously, my, I have two cats. I've always, I've had two cats for years and, you know, they just are a great source of love. And sometimes I'm quite sure that they are the only sane beings in my house. You Mm. know, I've got these kids and this husband and the cats are always, you know, they look at them and I feel love and harmony and peace. And so don't surrender all your joy for an angry lady who doesn't like cats. So in summary, the cat stays, the mother-in-law goes. (laughs) One of my famous quotes is, don't surrender all your joy 
for an idea you used to have about yourself that isn't true anymore. Mm. And now I say, don't surrender all your joy for an angry lady who doesn't like cats. Or That's don't a surrender. good replacement, I love it. Think? I love it. It's perfect. It's so much good more luck. Specific. But and you know about this, I want the updates. I'm mad about updates about cats. That's this is and also dear Sugar Radio Land. Write to me with all of your cat problems. I actually have had oh my God. a pretty significant cat problem in my own life. And if we got enough letters about cat problems. <gasps> cat rapid fire. We could have a cat rapid fire or maybe a pet one. I love, wouldn't this be fun? Rapid fire we'll call it apocalypse animals. meow. <laughs> apocalypse meow. <laughs> no, I, I think no, that's a great a idea. A rapid fire, the animals and the problems they cause. So please write to us because I would want um, to do that. I also want to hear the update on what happens with you, Cat Conundrum. I, mm-hmm. hope, I hope that you come out of this conundrum with a stronger bond to both your mother-in-law and your husband. That goes for all of our letter writers. Okay, we need to tell you that Dear Sugar Radio is produced by WBUR in Boston. We're produced and edited by Amory Sievertson. We're recording at Talkback Sound and Visual in Portland, Oregon. Josh Millman is our wonderful engineer. He has a new little baby. I don't know if he has cats, though. I know. You know, we call this episode Inbox Outlier. Mm -hmm. Our cat one could be Catbox Outliers. Our theme music is by the Portland band Wonderly. Vocals are by Liz Weiss. Subscribe to Dear Sugar on iTunes or your favorite podcast app and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Dear Sugar Radio and write to us at Dear Sugar Radio at gmail.com. Meow. Oh my God. Meow. <laughs> <laughs>